0: Welcome back for part three, everyone. All right, so Requiem turns out to be remarkably good. Now, they weren't actually able to get Sabrina Lloyd back for actual on-camera appearances. They were able to get her back for ADR, and that's okay. Because although it should be pointed out, uh she doesn't quite sound like herself um she's trying too hard to like give it emphasis like remy come help me so at this point unfortunately i believe sports night was canceled or um on indefinite hiatus um i don't know exactly what happened with sports night i never watched it except for a couple of episodes but then i immediately noticed sabrina lloyd in a leading role, and I was like, holy crap, so that's what happened to her. Anyway, so, Sports Night never really took off as a big hit, but it it did get a lot of critical acclaim, it got, you know, the people who did watch it liked it, but it was just one of those weird things that just was a brief phenomenon, and then it went away forever. Anyway, so, in Requiem, Wade has essentially been plugged in as the main CPU to a Chromag supercomputer that is going to help them take over the multiverse. Follow me? And she is sending signals to Rembrandt in order to try and get some kind of help. At least to, to have someone know what happened to her. And uh, being plugged into the supercomputer this way has given her some control over, um, over physics and energy and ways to control the multiverse. So she is actually sending portals as well as signals to Remy. And the closer they get to one another, the more that uh, they can sort of be in touch uh, mentally. And it's a little bit disappointing that they got a different actress to play her Um, it was actually Maria Stanton in physical presence, but although they had the body double for, uh, a lot of scenes with, um, with Wade's face in shadow, uh, when they actually show her in the supercomputer, it's like in this, uh, big tank with green lighting and everything, very, very camp sci-fi. Um it actually does look a lot like Sabrina Lloyd but she's not credited. And apparently it was actually her. They actually brought her in. They had her do some voiceover read readings of the lines. And unfortunately it's not very good readings of the lines like uh, she she's supposed to be saying like beware danger chrome mags and instead, she's, she just reads it like, I'm talking to you right now. Beware, danger, Chromags, weapon. That's it. It's, it's like, wow. You really didn't give a crap about the series anymore. You're getting one last final hurrah as a beloved character. I mean, honestly, you're you're just going to go that route? The don't give a crap route for a cult series that, you know, is going to give you residuals for years. I mean, that was the whole point of trying to get it to a fifth season and so many episodes. Um, It was like 88 episodes. And, you know, once you're at so many seasons and so many episodes, then you can start saying, oh, time to cash those residual checks. All right. at one point they do a little flashback to a scene that I don't really remember, but it was obviously from, um, you know, earlier seasons because it shows Sabrina Lloyd and Clement Derricks at a bar talking and they're talking about how, uh, you know, they both want to make it home and he wants to be around the people he cares about and doing what he loves. And, um, he says something incredibly sweet to Wade, which is you know as long as I'm here with you, at least I've got half of that, and it really is touching because throughout the entire series, Rembrandt has been the heart and soul of that team. He hasn't always been the most upbeat he's been more the the jokester you know telling you know quick with a joke or or a quippy remark or something when um when it was necessary at first he was the comic relief because he was you know just reacting to everything being so weird with a certain down-to-earth naivete and charm and by naivete i only mean regarding science not um not anything else he was the thing is as his character goes along he drops the facade of just being you know the washed up singer and everything like that, the, the one-hit wonder. And, uh, you know, he starts having real lines and having real discussions and starts to be more of a well-rounded character. Because I swear to you, in that first season, at some points his reactions got to be um, reminiscent of a minstrel show. Yeah. Uh And I think that was a problem with the writers (laughs) and possibly the director, uh, the directors where they just didn't know quite how to use him in those scenes. He's an actor. He can do more than just be a stereotypical black character. I mean, most of us have seen Bamboozled. Most of us know exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the Jar Jar Binks situation. Yeah. Fortunately, in later seasons and later episodes they do give him heart to heart moments with some of the cast as they bond through their travels that makes a huge difference for me as the viewer and for a lot of people watching because it's not you can't just say oh well it's sci-fi and therefore it's for white people no you're bothering to put in a black character Make him a strong, compelling black character. Make him a human being. And they did do an excellent job in later series of actually making sure that characters like Rembrandt and other um, other black characters did seem human without just making them basically act white. Which is important. Um, you can have a character be black and have them be human. It's just it's just good writing because it's no different from if you want to write a woman and you're a man and you can't think of what possibly motivates women and so you think you know of the most basic stereotypical things which is one of the problems with a lot of writing in hollywood but in this particular case they bothered to let clevant derricks actually act and the more they went along the happier they were with a lot of his acting because he stopped being the two-dimensional character who's just the black person reacting while black with the um i i don't i don't want to do it but um you know the kind of stuff that i'm talking about like the who, professor you fell in that pile of garbage you sure stink it's just the whatever it is just it's like no it's like it's fine if you want to have him make fun of the professor for being so up his own butt and stuffy about everything and kind of bring him down to size several of the first and second season episodes feature them bickering because rembrandt likes needling him it's a wonderful dynamic it's the odd couple dynamic with Felix and Oscar. You know, not that Rembrandt's a slob, but just he's more smooth, dapper. He's more in tune with his emotions because he's a singer. And later on in episode 10 of season four, uh, Asylum, when he's flirting with the doctor at the hospital while Quinn is lying there uh, unconscious in another part of the hospital, he's genuinely pulling some relatively smooth moves and you get to see that he does actually have some charm she is charmed by him so it's not um it's not like in other situations like uh the one where he meets his his number one fan on um on uh this other world and she turns out to be like a stalker who's married and no less married to a football player and uh he comes home and finds them together and is about to to uh, beat him up i mean at that point i i would have um honestly said sir we didn't do anything she just invited me to visit honest and that's all i've done so i apologize i understand you're upset you know but i don't know it was it was more comedic to have him running away from the big angry husband Yeah, it, it, and that was really where a lot of um, Rembrandt's character was for a long time. Later in the same episode, they have him riding the top of a high-speed bullet train uh, just as, like, another comedic moment. They put him on the top of a train set uh, uh, in front of a green screen, so it's like the top of a, uh, a mock train and everything. And the idea is like, oh, it's going to go like 100 miles per hour. And so, you know, his clothes are going to be all tattered and everything by the time he gets back to meet up with the rest of the group. Okay. So it's meant to be kind of a a joke on him uh, for kind of having a wandering eye and wanting to fool around on the side. It's meant to be kind of a comeuppance. But at the same time, this is a man who has never been especially haughty. You know, the whole idea of pride cometh before a fall or pride goeth uh, before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall is the actual quote. Uh, But uh, that said, by the time we encounter the Rembrandt of Requiem, and this actually premiered on my birthday in 1999, uh, it's a, a real different character. He's a man who's been through a lot. We see him, uh, a little flashback to him in prison while Wade calls out from the cell across the hall. Um, and he's just covering his ears because the, the uh, Chromags have been playing with his head for days, weeks at this point. And he doesn't know what's real anymore. And it's, it's tearing him apart. And so he had to turn his back. On Wade, as she was calling out. And he was locked in a cell, so it wasn't like there was anything he could do other than call out for her and hope that, you know, she would at least know that he cared. But he was so messed up from the drugs, from the uh, telepathy that they were using. It's a powerful moment. And the final scene with them together, she's locked in this um, metal casket basically frozen, and they're controlling her and suppressing her with uh, drugs to keep her from being able to reach out like this to telepathically, and from being able to open these uh, these portals uh, between dimensions and whatnot. So it's powerful stuff, and it really lets Clément Derricks show off his acting chops. I mean... Requiem is the culmination of his character after five long seasons of seeing this character start off as the fool, as the comic relief between all of these dry characters, and wind up as the hero, wind up as uh, the the one who who hates to leave his friends behind, the one who who is leading this ragtag group of adventurers through the multiverse, trying to keep, you know, trying to trying to help others, trying to reach out for others, trying to do his best? It is a remarkable moment, uh, just watching him in Requiem, and I think that if if you were to watch only a few episodes out of the entirety of season five, make this one of them. most of the other episodes are completely self-contained this one absolutely check out okay so map of the mind uh this was episode 12 of season five and in this one the sliders land in the middle of a mental institution during a riot and um a couple of the characters wind up inside quinn and diana Specifically, and then Maggie and Rembrandt run off because they're wandering around. Now, why they would split up in the middle of a riot being held at a mental asylum is beyond me. Personally, I wouldn't do it. But this is on them. And oddly enough, it was Rembrandt's decision. After I get done praising you, Rembrandt, what's oh. wrong with you? Anyway, it turns out that in this world... Uh, the government decided to ban all creative efforts altogether. Now, there's a lot of problems with that on a lot of levels when you actually get down to it. But let's just talk about neurologically, psychologically. They use a, a type of machine that basically scrambles up your brain, for lack of a better word. It supposedly cuts pathways linked to creativity. And in this world... The brain structure is reversed so that instead of being right-brained or left-brained as we know it, it's reversed. Now, that said, when they cut the pathways for Diane, they end up, or Diana rather, they end up getting um, her brain completely just cut off so that she essentially becomes catatonic or basically i would consider it more of nonverbal, verbal um, autistic uh, in terms of her behavior she draws intricate geometric patterns with perfect circles and slopes on the walls uh, freehand mind you so meanwhile quinn is watching all of this and trying to figure out what the heck is going on with all of this while pretending to be a different person who uh, is supposed to be having his first day there as a doctor. So yeah, it's, it's problematic in a couple of ways, the chiefest being the way that they portray the mentally ill, but you know, getting beyond that, actually getting into the story it's kind of mediocre it's the 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 main problem i have with the idea of banning any kind of creativity from art to music to um uh you know what whatever you can think of uh writing you know creative writing processes like fiction is that you need creativity as a way to explore a lot of different concepts so for example My first job out of high school was as a carpenter. And you need creativity in order to carpent. You need to be able to picture and draw what you're doing before you make it. So even if you just want to make a basic chair, you have to be able to visualize it. You have to be able to draw it, measure it out on paper, before you even put... Um, wood to saw, hammer to nail. Now, with all that being said, uh, I majored in linguistics. Language is a um, dual hemisphere process. It uses both sides of the brain. You don't just cut out one part of the brain and then expect the person to be able to talk. The people with the strongest language skills often have a lot of connections going back and forth between both hemispheres of the brain. And you also need both hemispheres of the brain to operate motor functions. Each side of the brain operates the opposite side, if I recall correctly. So if you want to reroute everything and change up everything so that a person is no longer creative. You're also going to affect their basic motor functions. In some ways, you're likely to give them the effects of a stroke. But, sure, we're just going to ban creativity. Why not? Well, as I stated, creativity lets you practice things. It lets you map things out. Creativity lets you work on a lot more than just the literal level it works on a deeper level than just pure rationale and logic even Vulcans have art and music and literature and poetry and uh, even theater you know the, the being rational and logical is not uh, is not the only way to be but they also talk about how They want people to all think alike. And I think we can understand now why this script made it to the last season because it really wasn't fleshed out in terms of exactly how all of that would work. It's kind of playing around with the idea of the brain and playing around with the idea of if you were to use a machine to alter the brain in some way. Anyway, so they wind up... Uh, meeting the doctor who invented it a man named Dr. White and both he and his daughter are patients there at the um, rest home at the uh, mental ward Uh, meanwhile you know they're trying to figure out how to fix Diana all this time and aren't quite sure Dr. White ends up able to help but he's not sure what to do Here's the other aspect of it that I really don't like. If you are going to map out a person's brain, every brain is unique. I mean, if you think a fingerprint is unique or that a retinal pattern is unique, a brain is even more unique. You can never replicate the intricate number of neurons and and the way that they are connected in just uh, the right way. It's one of the reasons why traumatic brain injuries can result in uh, a very lasting effect on the person. So before you remap someone's brain, you have to map it first. So before you were to make any alterations to a person's brain, you would first have to say, okay, here's the connection for this, 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 and this. That's one of the reasons why on uh, Dr. House whenever they go about trying to um, figure out what part of a brain is going wrong, first they open it up and test with probes to see what responses happen. You know, so they stimulate an area and see what happens. They stimulate another area, they see what happens. Because every single brain is different. They actually do brain scans with a very... Uh, sensitive sensors in a skull cap where they measure what parts of the brain are active. And they do this also when you have a sleep study. Uh, They'll actually put sensors on your chest, your head, to see like what's going on. So my main issue with even the remotest chance of science here is before you even go about doing this much, you need to stop and actually see how that person's brain is working because there are people who have reversed anatomy in real life there are people whose hearts are on the opposite side of their body whose digestive tracts flow in a mirror image from how most normal uh, human digestive tracts work and i use that term normal simply because that is how the majority seem to function from all of the tests all of the autopsies all of the x-rays all of the scans there seems to be a certain pattern that is the dominant pattern but it is not the only way that you can have it work you can absolutely have a person with all of their internal organs mirror imaged and flipped exactly the opposite way the liver develops mirror image the heart develops mirror image it's all perfectly functional, but you have to account for it. And likewise, the brain could be actually flipped that way. It's just the norm that it develops with one side being for this and another side being for this. Now, that being said, how does the episode actually end? Is it worth it? Eh, yeah. It's, it's another one-off episode with a bit of an adventure to it. A little bit of a journey for the characters. Um, unfortunately, Diana's character does uh, really not get a chance to really shine because she's mute throughout a lot of the episode. So, yeah, not as good as it could have been. I mean, if you really want to highlight an actor's abilities, don't necessarily have them playing mentally ill. It's a bit of a sensitive topic, especially for me, uh, but um, whenever you have a portrayal of mental illness, you have to be extremely careful with how you do it. Uh, Dr. House, just bringing him back into it, they were very careful about it in terms of showing exactly what was going on with him and why he was like, oh, okay, so I'm not dealing with things correctly. I'm not processing things clearly and it can be very scary but for me in particular because of my learning disability and because of being harassed over it for a long time uh, i'm very sensitive whenever someone is portraying a mental illness on television or in movies because that's what shapes how other people understand this kind of thing and it can be very hurtful and very dangerous in terms of what kind of abuses can be lobbed at um, a person with a diagnosis with absolutely zero repercussions. So a lot of the remaining episodes in Season 5 are genuinely pretty much just, as I've been saying, uh, where they dug them out of the file cabinet for whatever treatments were originally written, and then they just... Banged out a script as quickly as they could uh, one such one such example is uh episode 13 a thousand deaths uh, the group land on a planet where there are basically fully immersive simulations basically like your video games and oh there's one where you're in the civil war there's one where you're uh, in the old west there's one where uh, you're a uh, detective in the '70s, you know, going around uh, the city and taking on crime, and in all of them, all of the um, all of the different uh, regular people who play just go around shooting everyone. They don't even bother actually like trying to play the game. And so this is another criticism episode where something in our everyday life is taken to an extreme. And there are definitely like people who just love a good shoot 'em up game. Uh, but the twist for this episode is that basically they force people uh, to be plugged in as the characters, as the sprites, so that they can be more fully realized. Um, and then that somehow means that then they'll be able to just <laughs> render them fully as, as full human beings, even if their minds are not really there. And, and it, at that point, it's like, well, why would you bother doing that? Oh, well, the reaction times are more realistic now. No. no. It, it, it's actually more complicated to plug an entire person in and have that person sitting in a chair all day and night for any number of time, plus you have to keep them, you have to feed them, you have to clean them. You, you, you know, it if they weren't just sitting in in a in a row of chairs, it was obviously th- they had just put the people in basically the screening room for the dailies at the studio with a bunch. Uh, and and I'm not even kidding here. The VR headsets are just uh, those those magnifying headsets that jewelers and, um, some, um, some art restorers use in order to zoom in on the, um, on the smallest part of, uh, of a painting or something like that. So they just got a whole bunch of those from, I don't know, the prop department maybe, but <laughs> they just put tape on them. It's so bad. I mean, Wow. Uh, episode fourteen, heavy metal. I, I mean, I mean, I won't even bother going into the ending because it's like it's obvious how how that how that's going to end. But episode fourteen, heavy metal. Uh, they land in the middle of the ocean for some reason. I mean, given if they're on the coast and uh, they have and they have a, a range of like so much space within uh, California then why wouldn't you go to, like, the middle of California where you're, like, surrounded by land on all sides? Okay, well, anyway. So they land in the middle of the ocean, and uh, they're rescued by a freighter. And in this, plane, in, in this uh, dimension, they don't have aluminum. They, they never discovered aluminum, which requires a specific process in order to extract it from bauxite. Um, anyway, so as a result, everything is, is basically land-bound because, uh, no pun intended uh, planes never got off the ground and they don't even know what a helicopter is and that's actually ironic because I don't think you need aluminum to build a helicopter, I also don't think you need aluminum in order to build uh, planes, it's just that aluminum is cheaper to get because it's relatively about as strong as steel but much lighter so you could make a steel plane they i mean you had the spruce goose the uh, the hercules built by howard hughes and that was um that was all wood and that actually flew so i mean it's not impossible it's just uh difficult and It would not, you know, with advances in engines and everything. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, So basically the ship gets captured by pirates because the first mate for that voyage is secretly in League. And uh, the, the Wikipedia entry actually points out that this is the second episode of two episodes without a proper sliding scene. They really tried as the budget got thinner and thinner for every episode to not have to do composite shots with uh, the sliding portal. If they could just get away with uh, turning on a fan and having some lights go uh, off from off screen. So yeah, that, that's a particular aspect of it that, um, that, yeah, you only really notice when you're paying attention to that particular aspect. Otherwise, I don't think it it impacts things too much. Anyway, uh, so Maggie ends up becoming intimately involved with the pirate leader. And I have no idea where this idea came from other than just maybe the person who came up with it liked pirates. And that was a... I mean, that would be my best idea on it. Um, the uh, episode was written by Chris Black and he ended up penning uh, the next three stories as well. Um, So, you know, just bear with me uh, because none of them are very good. Okay, so the next episode after this is To Catch a Slider from uh, the well-beloved... heist movie to catch a thief and in it the sliders must find a gem they need to repair their malfunctioning timer or risk another slide in a dangerous vortex so over the course of uh, this particular season the portals have been unstable they've been dangerous and there's no real explanation as to why and having to suddenly need a gem in order to fix it just seems like a strange notion because that's never been brought up before um, yeah so I don't know maybe they're like oh well we need it for a refraction of the of the uh, of the sliding matrix or whatever it is it it, it it's always it, it's always science's magic with this show and it's one of the reasons why it, it got more painful the longer it went on because they never bothered to really work through a lot of their science. Uh, And just suddenly needing a gem is just not... It it doesn't really make that much sense, but yeah. Uh, It's an excuse to have them try and pull off a heist. Alright, so the next episode, Dust, has the group landing on a world that you know, it's a post-apocalypse world. And um, the the city of Los Angeles has been buried. They find a defunct timer. And Rembrandt is um, worshipped somewhat. It, it, like, just reading the summary, it, it really does feel like a, a Mad Libs, doesn't it? You know, it's like... Or, or that magnetic poetry where you, like, take the status of the world a thing that they find, <laughs> and this character is, you know, either loved or hated. It's, it's one of those two. They, it always branches in the same exact directions. R- lather, rinse, repeat. Now, episode 17 of season four, which is the A7th episode, Eye of the Storm, uh, this one actually is... Relatively important in that it closes out the Dr. Geiger storyline. Now, you would kind of want the Dr. Geiger storyline to close out in the very final episode because it would actually make sense um, for, you know, the final episode and everything for, for that to actually pay off in some way. But, no, it doesn't. So, basically, uh, the short version is that Dr. Geiger... Stole um, the part of the city that they're always in uh, with the Chandler Hotel in it so that he could then steal people from uh, other dimensions and stick them in uh, there and try to merge with them to stabilize himself um, as a person, you know, between dimensions. So, yeah. Um, He uh, finally comes to the realization that he's just not going to be able to do that a lot of the a lot of his whole plot was that if he tried to uh absorb other versions of himself then he would somehow gain power so if you've seen the jet lee movie the one it's the one they basically just ripped off that movie entirely uh for his concept and the whole name, Dr. Oberon Geiger, oh my god, just so corny. Um, anyway, so, he decides to send everyone home, and uh, Diana, ha- you know, he gets shot at the last minute by some of the group that he's kidnapped uh, and dies, and Diana has to send them all home and then jump through the portal. Okay. Um, but they lead you around the Primrose path before you finally get there with uh, lots of dialogue scenes, and they have to do it in the Chandler Hotel because it's a set that they have. (laughs) That's literally it. Uh, Because at this point, they know that they're closing out the series. They're trying to uh, put in a cliffhanger in episode 18, The Seer, but this is an episode that has an unexplained supernatural element and if you follow uh, what I said earlier in this retrospective talking about um, whenever you have a supernatural element the episodes going to stink this is um, this is such a case it was written by Keith Damron and directed by Paul Cajero, and the basic gist of it is is that um, a a uh, guy had a bit of a heart attack and he stopped taking his meds and then he was able to start seeing like uh, all of the Slider's adventures from across the realm and telling everyone about it. Their planet got attacked by the Chromags but they were able to get rid of them with a biological agent that doesn't harm humans but does harm them. Interesting to note, uh, the the visionary, the seer in this case, is played by Roy Dotrice, who previously played Archibald Chandler in, uh God, I think it was called Data World was the episode, um, and yeah, it it, it it's it's Roy Dotrice. I mean, you can't hide that it's Roy Dotrice. He's kind of a unique person in appearance. His daughter is played by Jennifer Hetrick, Vash from Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it, it it's Vash, so it's like what? Um, and yeah, it's cheap. Uh, literally the world that they that they exit onto at the uh, at the end of the episode just beforehand. Is the hill valley set, you know, with the uh, with the city hall courthouse building and the big uh, public square and everything and the and the little shops. You see it pop up every now and again. Um, it was featured in an episode of uh, Marvel's Agent Carter, of all things. I noticed that, and they'll try and redress it from time to time. But that particular town setting is from is is best known from back to the future i mean they set like dozens of scenes there like i think the only time that they ever didn't set something there was when they had the hill valley of 2015 where they had to do like complete re-landscaping and basically construct a new facade and everything and then that facade gets crashed through by griff and his gang you remember okay so anyway they're they're wandering around the hill valley set and uh but then this time they they uh slide and they walk through the front doors of the courthouse so obviously it's a separate world but they use the exact same (laughs) set location in the next episode what the heck you think we aren't going to recognize that one the the very well-known set from another universal property being Back to the Future? Yeah. Well, anyway. So, basically, uh, they land on this world, and the Seer has visions of them, and he's um, he's given enough ideas that they've produced a TV show out of it, played by uh, their doubles from this world, and uh, beyond that, uh, they have, like, a huge fan base, and... Uh, there, there are just so many little technical mistakes. Uh, at one point, they show a crowd using a crane, but they actually show the edges of the crowd, and you never want to show the edges of the crowd if you want to make it look like a big crowd. They actually have the the crowd fanning out in a wedge, but then they show the edges of the crowd where the people aren't, and it's like, okay, so you've got a crowd of extras, but you're not going to zoom in properly wow so bad um and it's not the first time that they've done this they did this uh a number of episodes uh before in season four if memory serves um but yeah never show the edge of a crowd because it makes it makes it look like the crowd is stopped and you're actually aware of how many people are there anyway so the plan is that uh, because sliders is such a huge success on this world, they're going to just uh, try and parlay it into a new religion. But this is mostly headed up by the daughter, not uh, not the visionary himself. So yeah, it's it it, it it's kind of cringe at this point because it turns out that the daughter and uh, the the mrs mallory of of this world both worked conveniently enough at a chromag research center where they had all kinds of chromag tech and so they just pull out of their butts at the last minute that after um after the daughter claire sends some goons to um to like basically for some reason they're grabbing mrs mallory they're 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 wrestling with her and looking around the room, yeah, and, and they end up uh, smashing the timer. And that's because Claire doesn't want them to leave because uh, they're a cash cow for her. Having them actually there makes it into a more real thing. Well, anyway, uh, so they're eventually able to get the sliding technology that the chromags left behind fixed. Just enough to send one person through. Okay, well in the past we've seen you guys repair this tech inside a matter of a couple of days and you are already planning on sliding out in a couple of days. Why not take the extra time in a couple of days after you've repaired the technology with the other equipment you have and slide out of there? There, there was apparently a, a hyperspace force field that was keeping them from sliding out before using their regular timer, and this is a time, this is a uh, portal generator that they can't take with them, so it's one way. And uh, the whole idea is that one of them will go through with the virus, but here's part of the problem. Um, they, they, they. They decide to to get the virus by getting some blood from a local one of the locals uh, a a superfan offers them his blood okay well he would not necessarily have the virus in him his immune system could have wiped out the virus having and having fought the virus does not mean that you carry the virus I, i mean Yeah, that that's just how viruses work. You don't necessarily have to have the virus. Uh, You could have antibodies, but you don't necessarily have the virus. Well, anyway, Uh, at the last minute, Rembrandt using a syringe takes the the vial of blood that they got and injects himself with it. Blood type, bloodborne pathogens. Who cares? We know that the virus has a limited um, shelf life, as they put it, so basically it's not stable unless it's in a human body. But, you know, you, you wouldn't want to just inject yourself with it. And his idea is that he'll carry the virus um, back to his homeworld and it'll infect the Chromags and other people and kill off the Chromags, as well as any of the Chromag human hybrids. Okay so they still were gunning for like an additional season or maybe a a finale movie that would wrap up the series and maybe they could bring back some of the cast for at this point it's been 22 years since (laughs) since that final episode and i don't think they've ever bothered to resolve what happened to rembrandt let alone to the other sliders so this is a case where we have to sort of write in our own ending, uh, just like uh, some of those books you got when you were a kid—those chapter books that had the open ending. And uh, I, I did have to do this with a kid once uh, as an exercise because we read through an entire chapter book and it didn't have a conclusion. And I had to, I had to ask him, "Okay, well, what do you think happens?" <laughs> Which is the worst thing, because, and, you know i had to play teacher and it, and he was like um well i think that uh the little girl got to move out to the suburbs with uh her new dad and got to keep the dog and they were best friends for a long time and i'm like i like that ending that's a good ending you know it, it, that's but but in this one what what are we gonna say huh are, are we gonna say that Rembrandt didn't make it? No, we're going to say that Rembrandt made it. He got captured by the Cro-Mags. He gave them all the virus. They all got wiped out. Um, they found their way to... Uh, to uh, his world. The, the other sliders found their way to his world. And uh, because they were using a Cro-Mag um, sliding device... Um, our Quinn and the other two uh, Mallory guys um, were all split up and recovered, and they're all wearing like the same identical clothes, um, just for humor's sake. And um, you know, Diana's there, and maybe, and maybe Diana and and uh, you know our quinn mallory end up getting kind of a thing i don't know uh but you know uh maggie comes comes armed for bear and ready for battle you know she's she's like armed to the teeth carrying all kinds of uh, military gear ready to take on whatever they encounter and um yeah so let's just say that that's what happens and uh, they they have a, a schematics or something loaded into uh Diana's device to build a slider shield technology that would keep them from uh getting invaded by the chromags again and thus the world is protected and uh the day is saved the two mallory boys um have the coordinates for their real home planet and they go off there um in their final farewell and everyone else settles in there uh on our earth from the uh, pilot and they live happily ever after <laughs> so yeah that that's what i'm gonna go with even though that's like the most basic story that you could have um you know at least it would work at least it would have satisfied the fans And it would have brought, um, Quinn and maybe Colin back, you know, but they, they had such a hard time with this season, even getting Sabrina Lloyd to come back. Uh, the, the final episode, because it's sort of magic based is very problematic. Um, for the sets, I'm not even kidding here. They just reused other sets. Uh, for the mansion where uh, Mr. LeBeau lives, Mark LeBeau, that's the Sears name. For the mansion, they just reused the Chandler Hotel. They, they literally just reused it. They filmed it in front of the stairwell uh, that they have there. Yeah, that's it. That, 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 that's all there is. Uh, for the set where the Sliders' superfans are gathered... They used the basement set from the pilot. I'm not even kidding you. They just redressed it a little bit. They used the same basement set that they've used a hundred times. They didn't even bother shooting it from another angle. It's like, move a wall and just film it a little differently. They couldn't even do that. It's so frustrating. Uh... You know, same thing with the Chandler Hotel. They, they couldn't bother, like, rearranging the set pieces a little bit. No, you, you're just going to film it exactly the same as you have every other scene in this location. Yeah. It, it, it's unfortunate. They could see that the budget just got drained. Sci-Fi was no longer funding the show. There wasn't as much of a fan base for it. And a lot of that was because a lot of the original cast had left by then and it's unfortunate because the show had so much promise but you had the original cast leaving they always had to have their contracts renewed each year rather than having them stuck there for so many years i don't know it would have been great to have a big finale with a lot of the cast returning you know you could have you could have had like you know even like Professor Arturo, uh, like say he's say he's the Professor Arturo from the world that they came from, but even then, they they make fun of that in the final episode by, um, saying that the show within the show tried to bring back Professor Arturo and it's a horrible-looking extra who doesn't even talk. He just vaguely, vaguely. Has slightly darker skin, has a beard, long hair, is balding, and I don't think he was even as as uh, fat as John Rice Davies was. Yeah, so it's it's painful to watch that final episode. Um, if I had to suggest anything, I'd almost suggest skipping it because you don't miss anything from it. It's not there to do anything it's just there to to give you the cliffhanger you'd actually be better off just watching the eye of the storm and make that your final episode um and then yeah it it almost would have been better if they hadn't bothered to film the seer and had and had just put some more of that budget into some of the other episodes but you know they get they usually get the green light for 18 episodes Uh, a certain number of episodes per season in order to cap it off nicely. But, man, this is actually like one of the shortest seasons since the show began. Uh, Season 4 was 22 episodes. Season 3 was 25. Um, Whereas uh, Season 2 was... uh, Oh, I'm looking here. It's uh, 13 episodes... And then Season 1 was only 10. So between Season 1 and 2, you had about enough for one season, which is why Season 1 and 2 really blur together in my memory. Um, And they would have been produced back-to-back. Season 3, like I said, had just this gargantuan number of episodes, 25 episodes in all. Uh, And then Season 4 had uh almost as many episodes in 22 but by the time you got to season five they were just uh, a lot of the writers had obviously skipped out um you know a lot of the treatments had been left behind for different kinds of worlds that they could go visit but they were really contrived and really redundant after a lot of the other worlds that they've been to uh i mean i didn't even talk about uh, the the Java Jive that much <laughs> because it it just th- there's so little to it in terms of anything interesting happening it it's literally just they 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 had some ideas they put it into a script hammered it out and got it together but yeah it I, I'm I'm looking at some of some of the uh, other episodes and the one called way out west that one was actually conceived of as a story by jerry o'connell himself so it was just him wanting to play cowboy for uh for an episode and they were willing to do it very tongue-in-cheek that would have been good in season five (laughs) if we had actually gotten that um you know the o'connell's actually stuck with everything for a long time and it it wasn't until that final season on sci-fi that they decided to just go ahead and nix it and it's unfortunate because um because i remember watching it and finding the episodes unsatisfying and it's like well gee why do you think that so many people you know aren't watching this show sci-fi executives maybe it's because you're not bothering to put the money in you're not bothering to um to do anything that'll keep some of the old cast back um from leaving and and you're not even when they have an episode where they're talking about bringing wade back they can't be bothered to actually bring wade back they just get her to do a voiceover what the hell i mean so much of season five is just some of the worst stuff you will ever see and everything in it is so isolated and episodic from the others that you could order them in any order which i'm sure that um that sci-fi was more than happy to do i'm looking at the um at the production code and yeah the unstuck man was the first episode filmed that season the next episode filmed was requiem yes episode 802 in in production code that was actually their second episode so the writers actually were coming in strong trying to produce stuff that people wanted to see that is remarkable um, I'm looking at what other numbers they had. Um, there's no 803, but 804 is applied physics uh, in which Diana meets her double. Okay, that makes sense. Um, 805 is a current affair in which you have the tabloid newspaper and, uh, and uh, germ warfare in Switzerland and everything. Okay, that, that's a little bit more powerful premise. Uh, kind of similar to a lot of the stuff that we saw in uh, seasons one and two Um, episode 806 the great work that's the one with the monks that's the monk episode (laughs) I mean that's what you call it Um, and just moving forward um, there's no 807 listed Mm, yeah but Oh, no, there it is. Uh, the 807 is the Java Jive. <laughs> and uh, 808 is Please Press 1. That's the one about credit, com- credit card companies and everything. Uh, 809 is Strangers and Comrades. So, yeah, if they'd actually released them in the order in which they were produced, they might have actually gotten a little bit more excitement about everything, in all honesty. Because if you went from that weak first episode that they had the unstuck man and gone right into is wade coming back what happened to wade let's find out you would have actually had the fans on your side i'm absolutely serious i don't you know since all of the episodes are are you know completely self-enclosed in terms of story aside from the ones involving uh, dr geiger you know, this is actually a an interesting approach, and and yeah, the applied physics brings back Doctor Geiger only one episode after we saw him. So if they had gone that route of having the storyline with Wade, then of you know an episode or two later bringing back Doctor Geiger, that would have actually been better pacing for the season. So just looking at it, I can see that the writing and production crew really did have some some good ideas, but the the episode order that they that they put things out in is very problematic here. Requiem absolutely should have been the second episode that they um, that they had in the season because uh, you know just looking at when it was released. <clears throat> They released it as uh, mostly summer television, uh, starting in June. And yeah, if they had if they had said you know we're going to learn the fate of Wade Wells, they would have actually had the, the fans on board if they'd released that on uh, June eighteenth, one week after the Unstuck Man was uh, was released. You know, it's like okay, yeah, we don't have Quinn anymore. We don't have Colin. We don't have um, we don't have Wade or professor arturo but we could have at least a story where we find out what happens to wade and where rembrandt gets to show some character growth but no we don't get that so the final episode and rembrandt jumping through the portal is you you look at where he started he started out as the unwilling Slider, the the guy who got dragged in while he was driving his car and just got sucked right through to another world uh, because somehow the portal, for the first time and only time in the show, moved from inside the basement to outside in the rest of the world. Through solid matter, mind you. So yeah, weird, huh? But as it is um he's he's like well you know i don't want to do this but i gotta go try to save the world you know i'll i'll carry this plague over and it'll wipe out the chromags and save humanity and hopefully there's something left to save and you know this is his moment this is his moment to be a hero before then he was just the crying man before then he was you know before he left a few years before he was just this washed up one-hit wonder singer and by the time he gets to the end of the series he's the hero he's going he a washed up one-hit wonder singer is gonna save humanity that is a character arc folks anyway so sliders is so troubled by the time you get to season five I would be very choosy as to which episodes you watch. Um, you'll have to watch The Unstuck Man to get introduced to the new characters, but you can skip over most of it until you get to Requiem uh, and Eye of the Storm. And then if you want to watch The Seer, you can, but... Uh, those are the only episodes you actually need to watch. All of the other episodes are kind of throwaways. Um, not really worth it. Uh, I, I remember watching (laughs) these episodes and being so incredibly disappointed by them. Uh, literally the last few episodes were aired in January, from January 14th, uh, and then, um, the very last episode was aired on February 4th of 2000. So, I mean, this is this is a wild ride. No, no pun intended there. But um, actually getting through all of this series has been epic. Because um, we're talking about 88 episodes of television. Just doing the math on that, that works out to 66 hours of of viewing so in other words um about two and a half days yeah you think about what you could do but like like with that much time you could study something you could exercise you could do a lot of things and given you could also watch this show while on the treadmill it it just it, it gets to an interesting point with this series where by the time you get to the very final stretch very little enthusiasm is left for the show because they've lost so many of the cast members and the only one left is rembrandt and so help me god because they were willing to keep clevant derricks on and clevant derricks was willing to stick with the show because it's like was there a and unfortunately at this point we do have to mention the racism in hollywood where um you know john rise davies he's welsh he was able to go and be in lord of the rings okay great but the other actors all moved on and did other things. Um, I don't think that Jerry O'Connell was doing Crossing Jordan just yet. I think that was a couple of years later. But um, he—he's at this point he's basically not needing work by 2000. Uh, he's able to take a break. Um, you know, presumably he had a wife and kids and everything, and probably wanted to spend some time with them. But filming Sliders wouldn't have taken up that much time out of his schedule, and it would have kept, um, you know, a, it, it would have kept a paycheck in his pocket, even if he wanted to dial back his role and not have to do as much and not have to film as many scenes. But by the time season four rolls around, you can see that he is not putting a lot of himself into his acting. Um, he's not got the same energy as when he started. He's not as expressive. He's not emoting. Um, I, I know that he was brought in as the leading man because he could be kind of the everyman with, you know, the the broadest possible appeal. But so help me God, this was. This was, uh, hard because you end up seeing Rembrandt more as the everyman, especially as the season rolls on, especially as the other, uh, original leads drop out. And really, uh, Clavon Derricks just does such a good job. He's, he's lived in the role for enough years at this point that he knows how the character would react to things. His reactions are very organic. His line delivery is great. So he's doing a phenomenal job with this episode. By contrast, um, only a couple of episodes beforehand in Map of the Mind... They have an extra who is raiding a um, an art gallery for a black velvet clown painting. You know the sad hobo clown, but it's painted on black velvet, and it's one of the only pieces of art left in the gallery. And Rembrandt and Maggie are talking to her on on a a uh, on a set. <laughs> it's a set. It, it's meant to be a street, but it's a set, and it's meant to be like a. A closed, boarded-up property that, you know, for some reason hasn't been repurposed into something. Because this is this is um, this is the world that hates art. Remember, and the woman's delivery is so bad that they had to have her do ADR. But even in ADR, her line delivery doesn't get any better, and it's so frustrating to see that to hear that in this show and it it it, it yeah it, it's a phenomenally bad episode all around and the season itself is bad and this is one of the reasons why you had a lot of uh, fans no longer watching because you had other shows on by then you had you had farscape you had stargate sg1 and that was just on that network alone you know you had all this other stuff going on in the world of science fiction and Sliders was kind of put on the back burner and forgotten about because the network only had so much money. And they were like, well, it's in its fifth season. A lot of the original cast isn't there. The only one remaining is the, is, uh, the black guy. And, you know, it, there is no doubt in my mind that because the show was helmed by a black man and a woman, that they were just like, screw it. And then the producers decided to make the other characters... Um, a black woman scientist, which is like, a black woman scientist? Yeah, they exist. And then uh, the, the, um, the Quinn Mallory character ended up becoming the comic relief because he wasn't very bright, and he was far more generic, and he didn't have any particular special skills, so he ended up becoming the Rembrandt of the group from where they were in season one. And You know, I'm just thinking, now Lisa's the Ralph. (laughs) If you know the Simpsons, you'll get that reference. But, yeah, I've wanted to do a full-on retrospective just of the entire series and just where it started versus where it got to at its height versus where it ended up. And it's so frustrating. I wish that they had had, like, a comic book or a novel that just closed it out for the rest of us because if they had a novel uh then I could act it for everyone and and bring resolution to so many fans you know only 22 years later uh but seriously that would be great um so i'm going to look for uh if there are any sliders novels or comic books that uh i could possibly adapt and you know but in the meantime thank you so much for sitting through all of this retrospective um it's so weird that it ended up taking over five hours to do, but it was worth it for me, and hopefully it was worth it for any uh, anyone listening. So, again, thank you so much. Uh, take care of yourselves. Until next time, this is Klada sliding out.